morning. God is good. <laughs> and all the time. Amen. I'm so thankful for God and so thankful for His Son, Jesus Christ, and what He means in my life and the difference that He has made. God has just been so good. And songs like the one we just sang a moment ago just remind me of how unworthy I am and just how much I owe God. He has made all the difference in uh, my life, and I just love Him for it. Amen. Well, God bless you. Um, this evening, we want to talk about temptation. Kind of following on for where we were this morning. This morning, as we looked in the epistle of Romans, talked about how that God has set us free from the power of sin. And that's a wonderful experience to have. No longer bound by sin, no longer under sin's control or domination. But yet, this evening we want to consider this very important point that uh, we face temptation every day. We are still susceptible to to temptation and will be as long as we're in these earthly bodies and on this earth. And so that's why I want to talk about this, about temptation. And uh, I believe that to be forewarned is to be forearmed. Uh, You know, if we understand uh, what it is that Satan is trying to do, then we can be on guard against it. The scripture talks about how that we're not ignorant of Satan's schemes and he has a plan to destroy each and every one of us. Now, as we go through this, we'll be looking at this kind of in depth and I hope to share some things that will be very practical and very helpful. But I want to say at the outset that we can't overcome temptation without the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. We can't do it in our own strength. This isn't a magic formula or some things we can kind of live by and apply to our life that's going to help us to do it on our own. We've got to surrender our lives to God, have the Holy Spirit have control of us, or we will fall every time. Amen? We can only do it in His strength and in His power. And as I said this morning, I've tried it. So I'm telling you, it doesn't work. You can't do it yourself. It's when you stop kind of white-knuckling it and stop trying to discipline yourself and work hard as you can and, and focus on it every day and really surrender every aspect of your life to God and be obedient to Him in every aspect of your life. That real power and real uh, victory will come. And uh, that's what we want to look at tonight. But let's start with uh, this particular passage in James chapter 1. I want to look at verses 13 through 15. Just three verses, James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. That's where we'll begin tonight. Verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Let's just acknowledge the Lord in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be gathered once again. And Father, thank you for your presence, and thank you for how your Spirit has already ministered to our hearts through song as we've worshipped you and praised you this evening. Now, God, as we turn our attention to your word, Our hearts are open. Our minds are alert. We want you to speak to us. So, Father, I pray that you would use me as your vessel. Speak through me. Give me the words that you would want me to share. Father, again, I thank you this morning how you blessed me in my physical body and just pray that you'd help my voice to hold up and help me to be able to declare in a very clear and practical way the truth of your word. Father, I also pray for everyone 
under the sound of my voice, that you prepare their hearts to hear from you. And Father, pray that we would not just be hearers of the word, but be doers as well. So God, I pray that you would hide me now behind the cross, so only you are seen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This passage that I referred to a moment ago that we just read, James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, really explain the source of temptation. And in verse number 13, it says that God cannot tempt anyone. But in verse 14, each one is tempted when by his own evil desires he is dragged away and enticed. Although, as we learned this morning, we are no longer controlled by the sinful nature, it still exists. And a temptation in the life of a Christian is a process. It's not as sudden as it might appear. It doesn't just spring up on us. And if we can understand that process, we can be on guard against it and make sure we never get to that tipping point where we'll give in to temptation. Although we're no longer controlled by the sinful nature, there are evil desires that reside dormant in our hearts. And I say they're dormant because we have been set free from the power of sin. And so these things don't control us the way that they used to, but it's still there and we still must be on guard against it. So this is where temptation comes from. It comes from our own evil desires that each and every one of us have within us. And that's something we're never completely free of until we leave this earth and we have our glorified bodies and, and eternity. But we don't have to give in to temptation. Here's the first step, though, in temptation. The first step in verse 14 is when we are dragged away. Satan wants to draw us away or drag us away from Christ to get us in a position to where we are susceptible to temptation, to where we are in the right frame of mind and something has happened in our heart. So when that temptation opportunity comes, we'll give in to it. Satan wants to get us in that frame of mind first so that the temptation that he brings in our way can be effective. We're less likely to give in to temptation when we're prayed up, when we're read up, and when we're fired up for God. Many of us can experience times in our lives, in our Christian lives, when we have been on a mountaintop experience. It just seems like temptation had no impact on us at all. We was just as strong as can be. But it's at times when we are drawn away from that, that Satan will try to work in our life and lead us astray. He needs to cool us off before the temptation will really be strong in our life. So that's why the first step is to drag us away, get us out of the safety of Christ. The next step is we are enticed. This is when we're actively tempted. He first draws us away, gets us in a position of where we can be tempted, and then he brings a temptation in our life. And often the temptation will be to have some kind of disobedience in a small area. And when I mean small, I'm not saying that there are different degrees of sin, but there are some sins that are easier to fall prey to than others. For instance, it's easier to give into the temptation of jealousy than the temptation of murder. So in these small areas of life, and it may be something like what we watch, what we read, what we listen to, the people we associate with, the places that we go, where God has placed in our heart a warning that this isn't a good place to be in. This isn't a good program to watch. This isn't a good book to read. These aren't good people to be around. And if we override that, if we disobey that, then that's the first step down a very slippery slope. 
The other point is that Satan knows exactly what to use to tempt each and every one of us. And we're not all tempted by the same things. You know, there are some people that have struggled with drug or alcohol abuse. And then there are others for whom that has just never been a temptation. Just not something that would ever, ever cause them problems. But then they may be tempted with unforgiveness or jealousy or envy. But each of us has that area in our life that Satan knows is kind of a hot button for us. But the question is, do you know what that is? Do you know in your own life exactly how Satan wants to attack you? And it's important that you do know and that you are prepared for it. When Satan does come to tempt us, he'll find an area in our life that he knows that he can get some kind of ground in. But then also, the other thing is that temptation falls into three main categories that we want to look at in this text here. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. Here's what the apostle says. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. Here are the three main categories of temptation. The first is cravings for sinful man. This is lust for physical pleasure. And lust is defined as an improper desire for something. So the cravings of sinful man is an improper desire for physical pleasure. There's nothing wrong with pleasure. God made us to be able to experience pleasure. But we need to make sure that our desire for pleasure is in the right way. And lust can be a desire for something that, is, that we shouldn't have. For instance, the lust for someone of the opposite sex we're not married to. Or it can be a desire for something that is legal and okay, but that we are consumed by. A lust for food. There's nothing wrong with food. There's nothing wrong with enjoying your food and liking your food and getting pleasure from it. But when food becomes a God in our life, then that is a problem. And that's the first way he tempts us for a lust for uh, physical pleasure. The second is lust of the eyes. And this is improper desire for things that we see. And this may be material possessions or, again, the opposite sex or something. But just things that we see and it causes a lust within us. And then thirdly, boasting of what he doesn't have, or what one translation calls the pride of life. This prideful boasting. And then the sin of pride in all of its forms. For instance, lying can be a result of the pride of life. If a person lies because they want to appear to be something they're not, or they're ashamed of something they've done, they're trying to cover their tracks, or do something, or tell a lie to, to cover up any embarrassment or any wrong in their life. But these are the three areas, craving for sinful man or lust for physical pleasure, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So, the first thing is, there is within all of us some evil desires. And because God has delivered us from the power of sin, those desires lay dormant within us. They no longer control us and lead our lives in the way that they did when we weren't saved. But then what Satan wants to do is to draw us away from God, to get us in a weakened spiritual state. That can happen from not reading our Bibles, praying, being in fellowship, being really in tune, close to God. And then when he draws us away, then he brings a temptation. And the temptation can fall in one of these three, uh, three categories. But then that brings us to the next step in the, the temptation process. Verse 15 says, Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. That evil desire that resides in all of us, if we nurture that in our hearts, 
then all that's needed next to fall into sin is an opportunity. It's like a seed there that's dormant. But if we nurture it and allow it to grow and to get bigger and bigger within us, then now all we need is an opportunity and we'll fall into sin. He goes on to say, after desire has conceived, and you see there this sense of a process, because you think about conception in a human sense, that a woman is, is conceived a child, and then before it gives birth, there's a process that takes place. It doesn't happen instantly. You know, normally it's nine months later before that child is born. And the same here, there's a process where something is growing inside of us. And this is why I say, when someone falls into sin, especially, you know, um, very obvious pu uh, public sin, they didn't just suddenly go from being on fire from God for God into this sin. There's something's been working in their heart for a while and it's only been manifested outwardly at the end. But when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And this describes the point when one gives into the temptation. But even here, as I said earlier, the temptation they give into may be in some small area of disobedience in their life. And maybe not even something that they've done. Often people sin first in our minds. That's the first area of disobedience. We've already given in our heart and no one can know about it. No one knows about it. We can come to church, we can do all the things that we do, but in our hearts we've already given in to it. Now all that's left is for an opportunity to present itself for us to actually commit a sinful act. I make this point because it's important for us to realize you could have someone that if you gave them a list of all of the acts of sin, you know, like adultery, uh, murder, uh, you know, stealing, lying, cheating, things that you actually do, they could tick the box and say, nope, I've never done any of these things. And yet they could be very, very far away from God. They could have already sinned in their heart. Jesus made this point. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, You have heard in the past, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I tell you, if a man looks at a woman to lust after her, he's committed adultery already in his heart. And Jesus was making this point, that it begins in our heart and in our mind. Because our body will never go where our mind hasn't already been. So it's important that we realize that and not allow these evil desires to be nurtured and to grow within us. Then the next step, at the latter part of 15, when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. The ideal being expressed here is again how sin starts off as a small thing, often just in our hearts, unnoticed by others. But as it grows, it manifests itself more and more in our actions. And then eventually, if it's not repented of, it will enslave us and it control us. And it will result in spiritual death, separation from God, loss of fellowship, loss of intimacy with Him. So here's this process that works out in the life. I was thinking about a mental picture of this. And I, was, I thought about how I've been to or have seen, I think I may have been once, but I've seen these big slides at a water park. You know, the ones where you, know, you go up some la on a ladder or something, you get to the top and you slide down. And the slide takes you right into a big pool of water. You know, I'm sure we all have either seen or familiar with it. Well, imagine that pool of water is sin. The drawing away process is the decision to walk to the edge of that ladder. 
the nurturing of it in our hearts, when sin is, when desire is conceived, it's the decision to climb that ladder. And then to sit down at the top of that slide. And all the way to that point, a person is still in control of their body. They can decide to stop walking toward that ladder and go the other way. When they get to the foot of the ladder, they can decide to go back. As they're climbing up, they can stop and climb back down. But once they sit down and start sliding down that slide, they lose control. There is no stopping then. And they will plunge into sin. And that's how the process of temptation takes place in our life. And that's why people can sometimes feel like, I've given in to this temptation and I was powerless against it. The Bible talks about how we've been freed from sin and that the power of God can keep me, but I don't understand that because I say I'm not going to do it. I try not to do it, and yet I find myself doing it again. And I'm telling you, believe me when I say it, that I tried everything to stop and I couldn't, so it, it's impossible to do it. Well, that's because they're describing the experience as they're sliding down that slide. <laughs> and they're absolutely right. You come to a point to when you lose all control and you cannot stop. And that's why it's so important to understand there's a process involved because we don't want to put ourselves in that position. Because in that position, the Spirit of God can't help you then. The power of God can't keep you. If we start sliding down that slide, He's not going to reach out and grab us mid-thing and pull us back up again. That's it. It's over. But what the Spirit of God will do is when we're being a voice in our head is saying, go stand next to that slide. It's saying, don't do it. That's the Holy Spirit. And if we override that and go there, then as we're climbing up that ladder, He's saying, stop, stop. This isn't going to end well. Don't do this. And if we stand up there, He said, don't sit down and don't sit down because if you do, you're going to start sliding. All of them, all of those times we have a chance to stop. But if we don't, it will take us, plunge us into sin. Now, in the natural sense, thank God, when people do that, they don't drown. <laughs> but... When we talk about that poo being sin, that's exactly what happens. When we plunge into that sin, we end up drowning. We experience that spiritual death, that separation from God, that loss of fellowship with Him. So here's the process. Now let's look at some examples of this played out in the life of a couple people in the Scripture. <coughs> Excuse me. The first I want to look at is Eve in Genesis 3 and 6. The passage says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Now, all the things I've just said, I just want to identify in, this, in, in, in her experience. First, she was drawn away from safety and put in a position to be tempted. I don't know exactly how large the Garden of Eden was. The scripture doesn't tell us. But I'm sure it was bigger than this room. <laughs> it would have been a huge place. Because we, we know that because all the animals lived there and things. You know, it, it could have been several miles in diameter. Why was she standing next to this tree? The only tree that she was told not to eat from. It wasn't because nowhere she went in the garden could she... You know, not observe it. I'm sure that it was big enough that there would be times where she could be way on the other side and nowhere near it. But she was drawn away from safety and put in a position right next to that tree where she could be tempted. It says in the text that she saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food. That's an example of the crazy cravings for sinful lust. 
for yeah for sinful uh, uh, lust, a lust for physical pleasure. It looked good. It says it was pleasing to the eye. That's an example of the lust of the eye, improper desire for something she saw. And then it was desirable for gaining wisdom. There we see the sinful pride of life. She wanted to be like God. That was her motivation. That if I eat this, my eyes will be open and I'll be, I'll know what God knows. And that was pride. So all of these categories were met in her experience. And her sinful desire, her lust for pleasure and to be like God, plus temptation, the temptation to eat of the forbidden fruit, plus the opportunity, she was standing right next to the tree, led to sin. But she actually sinned in her heart before she actually ate the fruit. And that's how sin is. It's not just if she took it and held it to her lips. As long as she never bit, then she was okay. No, in her heart she had already made a decision. I'm going to rebel against God. And then her actions was just the follow through of the commitment that she made. And when her sin was finished, the result was death. And in the case of Adam and Eve, it ushered in physical death. Because if not for mankind's sin, we'd all live forever. But there was physical death, not immediately, but eventually, and spiritual death. There was separation from God and loss of fellowship. The next example is the life of David. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 to 4. It says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Amorites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, Isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now we see the same process in David's life. David was drawn away by not going to war with his men. And this put him in a position to be tempted. He should have been out on the battlefield leading the children of Israel in war. But instead he stayed back in Jerusalem. And he was somewhere he shouldn't have been. David saw a woman bathing. She was pleasing to his eye. The scripture says she was very beautiful. Not only that, but he also experienced the cravings of sinful man or lust for physical pleasure. And so he inquired about her and sent for her to come and had her sleep with him. When his desire conceived, it gave birth to sin. And he too actually committed sin before he committed the act of adultery because he lusted after her in his heart. And then all of his actions afterwards just following through with the commitment that he had already made, the decision he had already made. And then when sin was full grown, the actual act, it gave birth to death. Both spiritually and unfortunately, physically as well. Two individuals died as a result of what David did. Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, and actually more than that because David had a number of people uh, killed uh, in that battle to cover up the fact that he was killing Uriah. But Uriah's, uh, Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, was killed. And then the child that was conceived out of that union ended up dying as well. But the point in this is that in both cases, their ultimate fall was a result of a process of temptation. 
something was working in their heart, leading them down this slippery slope, and they fell into sin. Well, we looked at these two examples to try to see this process in the life of some people. But now let's look at some final points that we can apply to our lives to help us to overcome temptation in our life. And the first one is this. We need to be on guard against it. 1 Peter 5 and 8 says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Every morning you get up, Satan has a plan to attack you that day. He wants to discourage you. He wants to get you far away from God. He wants to destroy you. He wants to keep you from realizing all that God has for you in your life. And we need to be on guard against that. Can you imagine being out on a safari and being told that there are lions out here and just kind of having a picnic out in the field not paying attention or walking around? No, you would be on guard against that. If someone said there are wild lions loose, well, there's a wild lion loose in your life, and it's Satan. And if you're not paying attention to him, you better believe he's paying attention to you. We need to be on guard. And the way we do that is we need to avoid temptation. We need to avoid putting ourselves in positions where we can be tempted. My father often had an expression that if you know sin is on a particular street, what are you doing in the neighborhood? But isn't that how many of us are? We put ourselves right in a position where we can be easily tempted instead of taking steps to avoid temptation. And that's what Jesus prayed. You know, on a couple of occasions in, in the model prayer, and lead us not into temptation. The ideal is to avoid it. He didn't say, don't lead us into sin. That's too late. Avoid the temptation itself. The next point is stay grounded in God's Word. I'm really concerned about something that I I'm, just get a sense is happening within Christian circles today. And that is a real devaluing of God's word. That the Bible is not held to the esteem that it should be. This is God's revelation of himself to us. The only way we can really know God is through his word and through his spirit. Amen. And if we don't spend time in the Bible, then we won't know God. And here's the real danger. A lot of people are forming opinions of God, ideals about God, what God's preferences are, how he wants us to live, that are completely divorced from his revelation of himself. I think God is like this. I think God is like that. Oh, I think God doesn't mind this. Oh, I think God doesn't mind that. How do you know what God feels like if you don't know his word? That's why we need to be grounded in God's word. As I stand here and look across the audience, many of you, I know your names and recognize your faces, but I've not spent a lot of time with you. So it would be really foolish of me to stand here and try to describe you. I'll take Sandy for an example. I don't know what his favorite food is. I don't know what his favorite color is. I don't know if he likes football or what team he's It's a lot of things about him I don't know because I've not spent much time with him. But people who know you well, they know these things about you. They know some of your likes and dislikes and you know, whether you support football team and all of these things because they know you. This is how we get to know God. The Bible isn't a set of rules, do's and don'ts to live by. 
Instead, what it is, is God's revelation of himself. And the more familiar we are with the scripture, the more familiar we'll become with God's nature, his character, his preferences, his desire for us, what he created us to be, his will for our life. And it becomes more clear and we understand him better and it it empowers our life. So if we want to avoid temptation and guard against it, we need to stay grounded in God's word. Psalms 119 there, you see, says, how can a young man keep his way pure? In other words, how can a young man overcome temptation? And don't worry, it's not just for old men, it's for, it's for young men, it's for old men too, and women as well. How do you do that? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. <coughs> Isn't that wonderful? When we, when we um, hide God's, God's word in our heart, it empowers us to overcome sin and temptation. But when we neglect the word, it makes us very weak toward temptation. Someone said on one occasion that uh, seven days without the Bible makes one week. W-E-A-K. And that's why it's not enough just to come to church on Sunday. And engage with the scripture. We've got to do it on a daily basis. Always feeding ourselves. The next step is we need to guard our hearts and minds. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And he's not talking about that organ that pumps blood through your body. But here, heart represents the center of our being. Our emotion, our will, our desires. All that makes us who we are. Guard it. We need to guard our heart by our influences, the people we're around, the places we go, the things we engage, what we read and see. All of these things can affect our heart and we need to guard it. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the scripture says, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. <clears throat> that last point that I want to highlight. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. There's a battle going on for our mind. Now, who controls your thoughts? <coughs> does God have control of your thoughts? Or does Satan have control of your thoughts? If we allow ourselves to be bombarded with negative thoughts, thoughts of doubt about God's goodness, His love, His forgiveness. If we allow ourselves to be bombarded with lustful thoughts or you know, jealous thoughts or envious thoughts or covetous thoughts, these things will poison our mind. And when temptation comes, we'll just give in to it. We need to fight against these things, but the weapons we fight against, they aren't natural things. An Uzi is not going to help you in this battle. An AK-47 is not going to help you in this battle. You need spiritual weapons. God's Word and His Spirit. And we strengthen these things through Bible reading and prayer and really stand in relationship and fellowship with God. And then lastly, we're talking about some of the steps we can take to guard against temptation. Remind yourself of the damaging consequences of sin. Adam and Eve and David are examples of this. 
And there are times we really need to have some sobering, a sobering conversation with ourselves and say, if I don't overcome this area of weakness in my life, if I don't deal with this, this thing will destroy me. This thing will ruin what God is doing in my life or has done in my life. The damaging consequences of sin. Things like shame, regret, loss of intimacy with God. A loss of a sense of lost ground that we were once here with God and now we've slipped back some because of something in our life. And then there's a host of other potential consequences, some of which last even after repentance. There are things we can do that even after we ask God to forgive us, and He does, the consequences of it still remain. All sin brings consequences, but there are some sins that magnify those consequences that are much more severe. And there, there, it's a wise thing to sometimes just be sobered by that thought. That all that God has done in our lives, it could be all undone. I, I know I'm challenged by that. I've been in Scotland now ministering for almost 10 years. And I thank God for the opportunities I've had to minister and to be a blessing to people. But I'm sobered by the thought how all of that could be undone in an instant. If I don't stay close to God. Because it takes so much longer to rebuild trust than it does to destroy it. And we don't want to do that in our life. We need to make sure we always remind ourselves of the damaging consequences of sin. But let's close on one really encouraging thought here. 1 Corinthians 10 says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out of it so that you can stand up under it. Isn't this wonderful to know? There is no temptation that you can face that is too hard for you. There's no temptation that any of us will face that we just can't handle with God's strength. Whatever it is, God will give us the strength to stand up to it. And praise God for that. I hope this has been helpful you to helpful to you tonight. And uh, let me just say that if you do give in to temptation, repent quickly. Don't let it drag on. Don't let Satan keep you in a in a place of saying, "Well, you've messed up, you failed." So just give up. Never give up. Get up. Dust yourself off and start again with God, because He'll always forgive you and take you back and continue to be with you. But what we must do if we do fall is make sure that we truly repent, which means we must make changes in our life. If anybody repents, but they haven't made any changes, that's not real repentance. That's just confession. That's just acknowledging that I've done wrong. Real repentance is, God, I've done wrong. I'm sorry. And I see where I need to make some changes in my life. Maybe somebody I need to stop associating with or some place I need to stop going or some entertainment that I've allowed in my life. I need to stop, you know, watching or reading or being a part of something I need to change or I need to spend more time in your word or go to church more often or be part of a house group. Some change needs to happen so that we don't find ourselves in that position again. But no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able to bear. Praise God. Would you bow your heads with me as we close in prayer? Dear God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to just share out of your word. And thank you for the encouragement 
that we receive from this text to know that although Satan has a plan to destroy us, you are greater than he. And that with your help and in your power, we can stand, stand up against any temptation Satan brings our way. Father, quicken us in our spirit when we are taking those steps towards sin. So we can stop this process in our lives before we fall into sin. So God, just thank you for your word and pray that it's been a blessing to all who have heard it. Be with us now for the remainder of this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you.